This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Turn up for Pep Guardiola at the Etihad as he wins his 100th home game in charge of Manchester City, just days after winning his 200th in total. With Premier League victories over West Ham and Wolves in the bag, this season is going from strength to strength. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking more in-depth at the details of the manager's first 200 victories, and we'll be analysing the last two matches as Guardiola closes in on the club record number of wins. More records have fallen elsewhere too, as City close in on what is now surely their third title in four years. They'll take a big step towards that if they can win this week's Manchester Derby so we'll also preview that and the midweek tie with Southampton on today's podcast I'm David Mooney I'm joined by Goal.com City correspondent Jonathan Smith how are we doing and City fan Howard Hawking hello uh, so, welcome to the, uh, the the Manchester Derby preview fellas we'll come to that a bit later on John I'm very well thank you very much hope you're good good yeah Howard how, how are things yeah not bad at all thanks good good uh, well let's let, let's kind of crack on first with, uh, with West Ham and Wolves um, because Howard when we're kind of at that point of the season now where uh, the team selection comes out and people goes, oh, what? I, I, oh, I'm not sure about this now. Uh, eyebrows were definitely raised for both of these two games. But you can start to see how Guardiola is now prioritising the squad and the games and looking at the schedule and thinking who needs minutes, how are, how are things going to fit in in the, in, the, in the weeks to come in a way that he maybe wasn't doing six weeks ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's, I think he's found himself in that unbelievable position. Not... Basically, Nathan Ake is injured, and that's it. Which is when you look around the rest of the Premier League, that is astonishing. And I think, I think the West Ham lineup was uh, just simply a decision of timing, not to deal. You know, I don't. Obviously, Pep always picks a team looking at the opposition. You know, strengths, weaknesses. I think he saw this as an opportunity. Look, with ten points clear at the top of the table, we can take a little risk here. I've, you know, the players that didn't play against in Europe I can bring in and it's still a strong side and this is my opportunity to push forward and keep this squad hopefully virtually injury free as we go into you know, games, cup games that become more important than the league games perhaps in the future so I think he really saw an opportunity because of the ridiculous one they've been on that he could take a risk and perhaps roll the dice a bit against West Ham yeah, and uh, I mean, it, like John, it was disjointed and rusty at times in both of those games. A, a, you know, a little side effect maybe of of rotation. But ultimately, you know, you come away with a two-one win and a four-one win. You've got the job done. Well, I thought I thought at times against Wolves, they played as well as they have done at any point during the twenty twenty win uh, twenty match winning streak. You know, I know you're not going to have much sympathy for me, but I was watching you know writing my match report, and it, I sort of had to redo it three times because of. I, you know, my, my idea at half time was I just thought they, they were so good, they played so well, you know, really pulled, uh, you know, were pulling Wolves apart. And had it not been for that offside, would have been 2 0 up and had a platform to go on and win the game comfortably, maybe 3 0, 4 0, something like that. And then, you know, Wolves score with their first. Their first, first touch in the, first, in the city box. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it was back to the, back to the days of Stuart Pearce, wasn't it? And, uh, uh, and Sunji High scoring against Middlesbrough with the only, <laughs> with, without a shot on target is it sort of like that. And and then thinking, oh, you know, then I started thinking about Wolves how they how they sort of know how to play against City. And then obviously they go on winning the game comfortably and and were were very very good for that last twenty minutes creating chances. So I thought the Wolves game was was pretty impressive. West Ham 
slightly, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was a bit disjointed at times. So, you know, we've not seen a lot of Torres this season. Aguero obviously has had his problems. So those were two big calls to come into into that game against a side who have been playing very well, had a plan, had a bit of confidence. You know, they've got danger men. Ling, I thought Lingard had a good game. Antonio was was a threat. So got the job done. And I think, you know, out of the, the two, that was the one they survived. Well, I thought they played well against Wolves. Yeah, Howard, uh, I mean, John mentioned him there, Aguero came back in. Um, it's it, it really is a hard time for Aguero at the moment, isn't it? Because he needs minutes to get, to, just to get back into anything like he was. Uh, but equally, it's, you know, he's it's, it's just had a really tough season with injuries and COVID. Yeah, just non-event really. So I've been looking through, you know, some of the games this week and, you know, it does appear a bit early in the season, but doesn't, you know, again, doesn't have much of an impact. He picked up an injury, Half time in a match, cut was it like Sheffield United or something like that? I can't remember which game anyway. And yeah, it's just been a it's been a near write off for him, has it not? The thing is with Sergio Aguero, he always has taken. He's always had muscular injuries, and he's always come back slowly. It's always taken three matches or so to get to speed, and that's difficult because if you, you know Pep's got a fully fit squad, he wants them performing. But you know, if the league, if we maintain this league, leading the league, then Perhaps he will get one out in the league and hopefully we can see the old Aguero come back as soon as possible. But it was very telling in that West Ham game. He wasn't fit. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think he's quite fit yet. And, it, you know, West Ham were in excellent form. We played in Europe as well during the week and under 72 hours between the games. Sounds like making excuses. But, I mean, even Torres, I read massa uh, thing that he had COVID and lost three kilograms and was quite ill with it. You always assume that these players just, you know, the young athletes, they just test positive, they're out for 14 days and they're back to normal. But, you know, it's affected a lot of players this season. So, yeah. the, the, you know, City can have up to 20 games left this season. I hope players like Torres and Sergio can, you know, have their impact and make their mark on this season. John, the question on everybody's lips with with Aguero is his contract. Um, obviously, there's there's not a lot of movement on that at the moment. It's does he does he need to to prove that he's 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 able to get back to what he was in order to get the the, the extension that uh, that everybody wants him to get, or is it a case of look, this season's been so difficult, then it, it kind of he almost deserves an extra chance to, to 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 play himself into that form next season, if that makes sense. Well, I think you know as a city club legend, he'll be given a bit more room than anybody else will, uh, but I think he's, he does need to prove that he can he, he can make an impact. Um, but like Howard said, you know, he's, he's always taken a few games to get up to full speed. Uh, I think I think he had that. He came back for three games, played three games on the on the trot early in the season, and then went off with a hamstring injury, uh, and that knocked him. You know, the games come so thick and fast, you end up missing eight. 10 games over something like that then obviously the Covid stuff so he's just not had a crack at it this season so it's going to be you know I can't see him being too involved in the derby um, so he's just going to slowly have to build up his pace and then after the international break you know he's he's going to if he's fit I think he'll have his opportunities and you know if if the occasion came if there was a big occasion and they needed a goal is, is there anyone You'd rather have that ball drop to still, even now, than Aguero. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other the other name that Howard mentioned, John, was it was Kevin De Bruyne. Um, it's it, he's he's had a mixed week for me because there's been moments in there that have just been simply sublime, ridiculous, and yet he still looks not quite with it. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there were times in that West Ham opening half an hour against West Ham where he couldn't play a five yard pass to a teammate, and you know, who, who is this imposter? And then um, and then he just swings one over with his left foot. 40 yards onto someone's head and it, oh yeah yeah it is him it's definitely him um yeah it's just uh, just getting he's just feeling his way back in isn't he um you know he's still driving forward you know he's still a brilliant player let's he's just just a couple of games and he'll be back to his very best and um will be a key if not the key player if they you know going to chase this champions league he'll be the man for the big occasion yeah, Howard, I, um, I, 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 I was reading with interest in the uh, weeks leading up to his return and then shortly after his return against West Ham when, it, uh, when he wasn't quite up to speed. Uh, the suggestion, uh, and I don't, I don't like to, to in input bias or my own opinion into these questions, but, I, uh, but, but I, I'm going to on, on this occasion. Uh, the frankly ludicrous suggestion that uh, City's team works better without him. Um, like, what did you make of all of that? <laughs> Well, we're doing pretty well if uh, we don't need Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> You're just calling in in an emergency. Look, the team works very well without him. That doesn't mean that he comes in and we get weaker, though. I mean, he just offers something different. And the fact, I mean, the fact is, he did in this twenty-one match run. He did play. He started eight of the first nine games. He's not been absent for this whole run. He's just been absent for the, the latter part of it. And of course, in that time, Ilkay Gundogan has you know, stood up and just taken over, and you know has been hitting goals in left, right, and centre for a short while. But look, we're, oh, I'm no tactical guru. We may have to change change how we play a bit, or we may have to move players around. But to say that we don't you know, need him or that he can't work in the system that's doing so well is obviously ridiculous. Yeah. I think part of the problem is. We've just got too many options. <laughs> there are too many options. I'm sure. God, when, that's it, a first world problem, right there. I know exactly, <laughs> but but that's it. I mean, when you know, there's, there's, there's no forward players out injured. Well, they might you know, until I hear otherwise. And uh, if you look at the the team he picks for Wolves, I'm I'm sure there's some some very very marginal decisions Pep Guardiola is making when he's picking a team for a league game. Because he could easily have put John Stones in, and that would have been fine. Could have put Zinchenko in, you know. He could have played any of Foden or Jesus or Mares or Bernardo Sterling. I mean, he's just got so many options, and yes, I mean it's great that we've not for the first time City have prospered without Kevin De Bruyne in the side. But obviously, he is perhaps he's definitely one of the top three midfielders in the world. So to say, you know, he can't come in and make the system work as well is ridiculous yeah yeah it uh, it harks back to the georgie king clancy thing doesn't it though uh you know city city actually needed to get rid of king clancy to solve the problems that's what it turned out to be <laughs> maybe city <laughs> do need to get same, no. maybe city need to get rid of de bruyne no not having that oh, me neither no. <laughs> um John, let's let's look at the at the defense there. Uh, Howard mentioned um, that that Guardiola could have picked Stones. He like he could pick Stones and Laporte. He could pick Diaz and Stones. He could pick uh, Diaz and Laporte at the moment. They're all they're, they're all as good options as uh, as each other. Um, it is, however, the first back to back Premier League games that they've that they've played where they've conceded in both since late November. So it's just not good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
I mean, it's just it's incredible, isn't it, uh, how things have turned around. You know, I was looking at the, the, the Wolves, of course, City problems at the Etihad the last two years. Um, and, it, and it looked like they were going to do it again. But actually, other than that sort of five minutes when Traore caused a bit of havoc and, and, and the goal from the free kick, they, they do seem capable now of, of dealing with these sides who just sit back, try to soak up the pressure and then break break with pace. I mean, it'll be another test on Sunday with uh, with Rashford and Greenwood and, and Martial. Um, so maybe maybe sort of confirm this at the weekend, but they do seem like they, they, they can cope with these sort of sides now. Well, they haven't been behind in a league game since the Spurs defeat in November, though, John. So, that, I mean, that's that, that goes to show how well they are defending right now. Yeah, but I think, you, you know, you go back to sort of the end of the last season, that FA Cup defeat against Arsenal, the Champions League defeat against Lyon, and then start a the season against Leicester, losing 5-2 at home, and you just... It, it seemed obvious what how to how to score against City. You just defend, stop them creating, and then smack it over the top and, and get someone fast to run onto it. And actually, now you know Diaz and Stones. Well, the whole back four, Rodri as well, took it in. They all seem to know exactly what they need to do to cope with that, and it, and it's not been as big a problem as it was. Howard, there's there's something I've been thinking about that I can't I, I can't shake it out of the back of my mind at the moment that that um, uh, this this part of the solution is being underplayed because obviously the solution to City's defence isn't just oh they bought Ruben Diaz everything is now fine um, as John said you know Rodri's improved he's, he's settled into the side uh, Stones has picked up his form Laporte has come back and and, and Diaz has has made an impact since he's arrived. Um, but I, I'm wondering how much of the defensive improvement is actually down to an improvement in John Stones rather than the arrival of Ruben Diaz. And let me give you the numbers on that just to, to kind of run through it. Um, there's not much evidence for, uh, for for Laporte and Stones together. They've played, they've started one game together and they kept a clean sheet in it. Uh, Diaz and Stones starting together, they've kept uh, 12 clean sheets from 15 starts. And uh, so obviously only conceded three, one in each of the other games, and one of them was a penalty. And uh, Diaz and Laporte together, they've kept four clean sheets from 10 starts. So not quite as good, uh, and seven conceded in, in, in those other games. But the, the thing I'm wondering is, is, is the biggest improvement in City actually Diaz's effect on John Stones and how that has helped him lift the rest of the team? Yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence and say they're both as important as each other. So it's two very different stories, it's obviously... A signing that's coming, 23-year-old, who you'd think is a 28-year-old by the leadership qualities brought to the side and how quickly he's settled in. And then there's the redemption story of John Stones, who most of us probably thought was done in the summer, decided to stay. And to be honest, I think it's both one with each. I think they're just... I mean, just look at them when... Look at them high-five each other when they when they get a tackle in, when they clear a ball, when they do anything. I think the. They're both firing each other to perform. Uh, I think they're both. Yeah, I think there were the someone at the women's team said that the the, the the what fires them up to perform. Well, they've seen the men's team doing well and they're firing each other up. And I think it works the same way with these with Diaz and Stones. I think they're both now become as a pairing in that they are they're just working together. That I think they enjoy working together and. 
if you took yeah they've both been equally important for me on this season if you you said to me now who's the best who's who would be your player of the year this season i couldn't separate those two at all yeah how about uh, would the nod not go to john stones just simply because of, uh, of the sudden goal scoring form he's found himself in <laughs> that's fair enough yeah uh well, he's, he's had a brace this season, is he not? So he has. It's weird because, like, like obviously Laporte the other night it was ruled out for a marginal offside, so he's almost added uh, to his tally. Diaz uh, got off the mark against uh, West Ham. Stones has been banging him in for fun. What, where have we got these three goal scoring centre halves from? I mean, we should always be able to score. For, well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and many City fans have been terrible at corners for. I don't know how many years. <laughs> Ten. Well, I, I was, I was going to say I'm 33, mate, and I, I, I think it, I, I think it's about 33 years that I remember that. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, we seem <laughs> to be a bit better at them, basically. But there's no reason why they can't weigh in with some goals because they have physical and aerial presence. But I mean, look at the John Stones goal against uh, against West Ham. It wasn't from a corner. He just stayed up. So <laughs> it's just like everyone, everyone wants to share the goals at the moment. So. Uh, yeah, it's strange. It's well, I mean, most teams do get some goals from their defenders, so I can only assume that we're just seeing a bit more joy from set pieces. But I mean, he finished that that shot is a shot of a striker, you yeah. know, against West Ham. Instinct so. on it, yeah, yeah. Uh, John, the uh, the other interesting stat to come from those numbers that I said before, obviously, Diaz and Stone starting together have conceded three. Uh, between them, they've scored five. They're net, yeah. they're net two on their own goals. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's, it's it's just incredible. You know, sort of saying what I was, what I was saying before about you look back to last season and ha- what a mess the defense was. Those goals against Leon, and then to just to, for for them to turn it around like that one, you know, I think Laporte is kind of feeling a little bit of pressure to get back in the side because of those the impact that Diaz and Stones has had. And, you know, one of the images I, I can think of to do with him is that one against Cheltenham when they when they scored. Is you know, I, th- I still think City thought they were going to win that get that game, obviously. But he was just so frustrated that this was his chance and they'd conceded a goal. You know, he was so annoyed, wasn't he, chasing after the referee? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, he's just he's he, you know, is he? He's not really the number one centre. Well, he's definitely not the number one centre back. But he's, you know, when the big games come around, he might find himself on the bench. Let's look uh, for the final part, the first part of the show, at the forward players a little bit, because uh, two two players have had an interesting week for me. Uh, Howard, going to start with Riyad Mahrez. Um, he's he's still quite the enigma at City. Um, do you do you still feel like City fans are a little bit wary when he's when he's named in the starting eleven as uh, yeah. certainly as much as they were in the past? Yeah. Absolutely. Enigma's probably the right word. The, the thing is, we know what he can do. I mean, to be honest, he's one of the most naturally gifted and skillful players I've seen with the football. I mean, you just have to see how he... I mean, just look at the first goal against Wolves, just how he can pick a ball out of the air and just, you know, so probably only Lionel Messi could do something like that. Uh, in world football, he's just he's sublimely talented. And I guess that's where... The enigma part comes from all the frustration, because we don't always see it. Uh, but undeniable for me that he has come into form in the last few weeks. Pep sees more because even when we've been most frustrated with him, he gets regular games. I thought he was generally excellent. He was super, generally, he, 
it, oh, it was superb sorry, generally of a good standard last season, you know, underwhelming season, and tailed off earlier this season. But I still, I do think right now, yeah, he is coming back into some sort of form. But we just need to see it consistently. You want, I guess, we want to know that when he is picked, we know he's going to put in an eight out of ten performance, and that's you know setting very high standards. But that's kind of where we are. That's where we are. We're setting everyone very high standards, and we are very spoiled. But he is. Like many of, maybe it's the position we get frustrated with a lot of our forward players. So Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, we could have exactly the same conv- conversation. And maybe it's the area of the pitch where they are. They have to take risks. Uh, they move into traffic, into low blocks, and block. You know, very busy penalty areas. Maybe we are a bit harsh on them sometimes. Yeah, I was wondering, John, if it was the fact that Riyad Mahrez himself just kind of amplifies City's problems sometimes when they play with the inverted wingers because Mahrez has to play on the right and cut inside. He doesn't. He just doesn't play on the left very well. Um, and like Howard said, when you're facing a low block, that sometimes can be frustrating to watch. Yeah, it can. Um, it, it, it occasionally wanders into a false nine position and you can do that occasionally, but yeah, he very much plays out on the wide, wide right and sticks to it and... I mean, sometimes you you, you you sort of watch and think, right, go go outside him, and he, and he keeps cutting back and giving it back to the full-back, and you think... He well, did against Wolves, though, didn't he? he went, did he create one of the goals by going outside like that? Yeah. Um, I, I always think of, sort of think of it a bit like a, a spin bowler in that, you know, they keep bowling, you know, they keep doing the the one that goes away, goes away, and then eventually they go for the one that's inside, it goes inside, and... He's just—it's like that. He just like sort of goes, does it half a dozen times, and then the one time he goes outside, it's successful. So, yeah, I mean, I can't add to what Howard said. Really, he's just a brilliantly gifted player, and at times you just think he could do more. But then Pep, Pep obviously values him hugely. So he's—he's he's big. He's been a huge part of this twenty twenty-one game winning run. Uh, Gabriel Jesus as well, John, gets a lot of criticism uh, from, from fans. He was very lively against Wolves, I thought, and obviously got his got his goal later in the game and, uh, and, and eventually knocked us off the charity bet, but we'll come on to that in a bit. Um, <laughs> and I thought he changed the West Ham game when he came on as well. Yeah, I, I really like uh, Jesus. And I, I've, there's someone I follow on Twitter who I won't name, and in games like that, as soon as he misses a chance, I can... He, there's a tweet out about Jesus saying, "Oh, he's you know he's not. He's always the one who seems to get, you know, he's the first one to get blamed for stuff like that." And you know, he 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 does so much, works so hard, fits perfectly. Uh, and and Pep's whenever he's asked about him, he always says, "Well, he is judged on goals, and that's unfortunate. He has to live with that, and he has to start scoring more." And um, yeah, that's what that's how I feel. He is unfairly judged because he doesn't score his goals. And against Wolves, he's kind of he's done everything in that game. He's worked incredibly hard, and at the crucial moments he's got he got the he got the the second goal absolutely vital, and then and then wraps it up with the with the fourth. Yeah, Howard. Um, I mean, the thing is, obviously, his role going forward is not going to be that of main striker at City. When Aguero leaves, they're probably going to bring somebody in to replace Aguero. Uh, so the question then becomes: Is is Gabriel Jesus happy with you know playing the role that he's currently playing? Uh, yeah, uh, he's not an out striker. He's never going to be now, and we have to accept his. I mean, I mean, if he was an out and out striker as well, he'd be one of the best players in the world. Or he would be. £150 million player easily. So, you know, you're saying, why is, 
what was essentially saying is why is he not perfect? Because he does his best position is probably out on the left and coming in. Uh, the issue is he's not a killer in front of goal, and even if he's playing wide, like all our forward players, they will find themselves with the ball in front of goal, and he again he can frustrate because. I don't know, he doesn't have that killer instinct that wants to shoot. Even like Phil Foden has it, I think. Even Torres, perhaps. You know, they look to shoot early and quickly, and Jesus is sometimes always looking for another pass or can be quite weak with his shooting and perhaps instant goals. Basically, when it comes across and he lunges in and gets it in, obviously, he's got that. He can grab goals like that, but, you know like a couple of our players, if the one-on-one, you wouldn't have huge confidence in them. But that's what he is. He's a hugely important squad member. Where he fits in, well, yeah, not as an out-and-out striker. The problem is, if we do buy an out-and-out striker and he's fit and we play him, how often will we play Gabriel Jesus as well, who's kind of a left-sided forward player? So I don't know. This this is the point of having a squad, really. He'd always yeah. get plenty of football... He's a huge asset. I think he's had a, a good... He frustrated me before he got his two goals against Wolves. But again, you know, I'm probably just sat at home by myself. I'm getting frustrated with too much and I'm too spoiled. I think he's had a good week. And as you said, everything that was... I think in that West Ham game, we appreciated more the players that weren't playing. I think you begin to appreciate them when they're not there. And I certainly began to appreciate Gabriel Jesus during that first hour or so of the West Ham game because <laughs> yeah. it really needed him on that pitch and he changed the game. Yeah, well, uh, the 2-1 win over West Ham at the weekend was Guardiola's 200th victory as City boss in just 273 matches. So I've been taking a look at the numbers behind that remarkable achievement. David Moyes was the opposition manager for Pep Guardiola's first win in England when his Sunderland side were beaten 2-1 at the Etihad in August 2016. It was Moyes who was on the receiving end of another 2-1 defeat when Guardiola made it to the 200 club. Or was he? When is a win not a win? You know, it's a, a game played after 90 minutes. You know, if it goes into extra time, if it goes into penalties, does that count as a win or not? That's football historian Dr Gary James. If matches that go to extra time and penalties do count as wins and not as draws, then Guardiola's 200th victory for City was actually the 3-1 FA Cup success over Swansea last month. About four years ago, when, when City had that incredible run in 2017, I contacted the International Football Association board and asked for clarity. I don't particularly care either way, um, but I asked for clarity. And they came back at that time and said that for sequence purposes, a uh, win in extra time or on penalties is a win. Now they seem to have changed their mind. Opta have been in touch with them and they seem to have changed their mind. That also means that the win over West Ham was officially the first time City had made it to 20 in a row. That's because that run in 2017 goes down as 11 wins before and 8 wins after the League Cup draw with Wolves, even though City won that tie on penalties. So Guardiola officially didn't join the 200 club until last Saturday, and he's only the second ever City manager to do it, after Les McDowell in 1962. The significant thing about Les McDowell is that he had well over a decade to to sort of get to that figure. He, he, He was manager for 13 years, and he managed City in, what, 590 plus games, so... His record, although he won the FA Cup and for the time he was a great tactical genius and, and so on, 
you know, his record doesn't really bear comparison with, with Pep Guardiola. McDowell made it 200 wins in his 530th match. Guardiola's done it in just 273, that's nearly half the time. McDowell topped out at 220 wins in 1963, and Gary points out how things were a little different back then. The first season that Les McDowell was, was City boss, they were a second division team, so the first 19 league wins of of Les McDowell's were actually second division games. So in a sense, you know, if you if you sort of exclude second division games, that's 201 top fly or FA Cup games that he, he won. So here's how Guardiola's wins break down. The majority are obviously in the Premier League, 132 of them. After that, it's 30 in the Champions League, 19 in the FA Cup, 18 in the League Cup and one in the Community Shield. The team he's beaten most is Burnley. Of his 200 wins, 99 of them came at the Etihad, and 101 were away or at a neutral venue. Here's City fan Richard Burns. To look at how close those records are, it's not about being better away from home or better at the Etihad. 99 wins at the Etihad, 101 away. Actually, what that says is City are pretty much equally good, whether they're home or away, and that it doesn't matter where they play. They're going to take their game, they're going to take their style. They're going to impose themselves on a game and essentially make teams dance to their tune, whether they're home or away. After the Etihad, Guardiola's favourite venue is Wembley, where he's won seven times with City. Of his 200 wins, referees Andre Mariner and John Moss have officiated the most, 17 each, and City have kept clean sheets in 114 of them. Dan Burke is a City fan. Generally speaking, I don't think defending per se has been a problem under Guardiola, although what we're seeing at the moment is, is better than anything we've seen since Pep came in and, and definitely the best City defence there's ever been in my lifetime. I remember him saying in his first season that he was a bit shocked because at Barcelona and Bayern Munich, his teams had always had the best defence in the league. Um, City conceded 39 goals in that first season and then investment in the defence and goalkeeping departments the following summer saw them concede 27 in the Centurion season. Overall, there's been some ups and downs, but I don't think defending has ever has ever been a huge concern for City with Guardiola at the helm. The score that Guardiola's won by the most at City is 2-1. Richard Burns says that shouldn't be a surprise, as there's more scope for variation in the bigger victories. They are capable of grinding out results. Guardiola's City are fighters and they're battlers. Um, and, and nobody uses those kind of adjectives to talk about City, because narrative in football and how we talk about football is... It all goes one way, doesn't it? So we think of lower-end teams, relegation, scrapping teams being the battlers and scrappers. City can scrap, and it's just not in the, the unfashionable way that we think of other teams doing it. So let's talk goals. It's no surprise that Sergio Aguero and Raheem Sterling have grabbed the most in Guardiola wins. Of the 606 City have scored, those two got more than a third 200 between them, while Gabriel Jesus has chipped in with a further 73. In fourth place is Kevin De Bruyne with 38. I think what makes Sterling such a good goal scorer is his movement off the ball. You often hear people call him a tapping merchant and a lot of his goals are tappings to be fair, but do you think it's just a coincidence that he often finds himself unmarked in the middle of the goal like that? 
And that's the kind of instinct that's very hard to teach. And I think even though he doesn't always score, City are a slightly less potent attacking force when Sterling doesn't play. It's no shock to Dan then that Sterling has made the most appearances in Guardiola wins, featuring in 166 of the 200. He's played nearly 13,000 minutes of football in those games. The nearest outfield player to him is De Bruyne, who's clocked up just over 11,000. I think his best work is the stuff you often don't notice. Um, like I found it really crazy that earlier this week he was named the Who Scored Premier League player of the month now he scored three goals in February for City and was gem- generally very good but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a City fan who would say he was even our player of the month never mind in the whole league but you know who scored's ratings are, are very stats based and, and perhaps that just goes to show that Sterling is clocking up numbers that aren't always visible to the naked eye Sterling tends to start most of the games he's involved in though the player that's come off the bench more times than any other in Guardiola wins is Gabriel Jesus I think I probably prefer Jesus as a starter I think he benefits from being able to feel his way into a game. But of course he's a good option to have off the bench because he's a good footballer. The debate around him won't stop. It's a debate where I myself am somewhat on the fence. I think he's a very good squad player, which I guess will mean he's going to have to continue to take his, try and take his chances from off the bench. One narrative around City under Pep is that they've been very good at the dark arts. So we're going to finish with a quick look at the team's discipline in those 200 Guardiola wins. There is one player who stands head and shoulders above the rest for getting into trouble in those matches. With 28 yellow cards and two reds, step forward Fernandinho. I think Fernandinho is a master of tactical fouls and I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, there are times when I'm watching the match and I'm actually shouting at the TV encouraging him to make a foul to stop an opposition counter-attack. The thing is, the laws of the game allow for these types of fouls to be made. If you do it once, you tend to get a yellow card and then you can't do it again. Every team does this, every team is bound by the same rules, so I'm not going to lose any sleep over, over Fernandinho's mastery of this particular dark art. After the win over West Ham, Guardiola should now have Les McDowell's record of 220 victories in his sights. Having signed a contract extension earlier this season that will keep him at the Etihad until the summer of 2023, the number of wins the current boss could notch up may actually never get beaten. I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy and I, Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. Enjoy. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. A look there at Guardiola's first 200 wins. Uh, and before we move on, uh, there is something that we need to do about that. It's a quiz on Guardiola's first 200 wins at City. I bet neither of you saw that one coming. No. Oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, right, well... Uh, <laughs> 
you know how it works by now. Uh, three questions. You get uh, you get the choice of which one you want. Uh, a point for the right answer. No carryovers. And uh, yeah, all of these questions are about games that Guardiola has won at City, up to and including the two-one win over West Ham. So not the four-one win over Wolves on Tuesday. Uh, Howard, pick a number one to six. I'll let you go first. Uh, three, please. Uh, number three. City's one hundredth win under Guardiola was against Liverpool. What was the score? 100th win was against Lewis, so halfway. Oh my god. Uh, which one would it be? Ah, f- uh, I'm going to be boring the listers, so I'll just go for 4 0. Uh, it wasn't. It was 2 1. Leroy Sane, winner. Oh, of course. About half. <laughs> I tried to go halfway through his reign and yeah, got it horribly wrong. So. Yeah. Uh, so, swing and a miss. Uh, what are you having, John? Uh, number two. Number two. Uh, oh, oh, blimey. This is a wordy oh, one, yeah. so pay attention. Uh, who was the player that was an unused substitute the most in Pep Guardiola wins? He came off the bench in one of them, stayed on the bench in 67 of them, and he started 36 of them. Uh, I'm going to say Claudio Bravo. It was Claudio Bravo. 1-0, oh. Howard. Uh, one, please. Uh, question number one. Which team has Pep Guardiola played three times while at City, but only ever beaten once, and that was in the FA Cup? <laughs> God. Uh, three times, but only beaten them in the FA Cup. I can give you an extra hint to that one. They are unbeaten against this team. What City are unbeaten against this team? Under Guardiola, they are unbeaten, but Guardiola has only ever won once, and it was in the FA Cup. No, I'll just say anything. Cardiff City. Uh, It's not. It's Middlesbrough. (sighs) I knew it had to be a championship side, but I just couldn't, yeah. Two draws in the Premier League in that first season, and uh, an FA Cup win. So, John, you can actually win it here. Uh, Four, five, or six, what are you having? Four, please. Uh, question four. Sergio Aguero and which other player have scored the most goals off the bench in wins for Guardiola at City? Right. Uh, I'm going to go Phil Foden. It's not Phil Foden. Uh, it's Gabriel Jesus. They've got seven each. Seems maybe too obvious. Howard, you need this one, though, to draw it level. So five or six? <laughs> six. Number six. Okay. Uh, who were the first team to stop Guardiola winning after he arrived at City? I'm between my memory. What chance? I'm gonna get. <laughs> I could sit here and think about it, but a team's coming to my head. I've no idea. West Ham. It wasn't West Ham. So uh, John takes the win. It was Celtic, three-three in the Champions League. <laughs> now you've said it, it's obvious. So. Yeah. So John, you've won. It's just for fun. Question number five. Uh, what's the highest number of goals City have scored in Guardiola wins on more than one occasion? <laughs> uh I think there's been a couple of 7 nils, hasn't there? Yeah, let's go 7 nil. It is 7. Uh, there, there's been three of them. There's a 7-2 against Stoke, and then uh, two 7 nils, Rotherham and Schalke. So, uh, John, you're the winner. Well done. Thank you. For the record, I know I knew the answer to two of his questions. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but uh, you, you should have picked better than Howard. You should have picked better. Yeah. I didn't Never know mind. any of yours, if, that's, if that makes you feel <laughs> This 
is the Blue Moon Podcast. So time to have a look now at uh, the games with United and Southampton, both at home. Um, John, this one, uh, uh, the one against United, uh, a City win, it extends their record of consecutive top flight victories. It breaks the club record for a run of unbeaten games. Uh, I mean, it practically secures the title as well, doesn't it? It's all to play for. Yeah, I think I think a win would what would be seventeen points clear. Uh, United not playing particularly well at the moment. Leicester having lots of injury problems. I think they're all going to get drawn into this battle for the top four. Um, I think it's a big a, a big game to win because it could take the pressure off, you know, uh, and put all the focus onto the cup games. They could almost sort of limp over the line if if they win this game on Sunday. So I think they'll be right up for it. Uh, you know, apart from the records, I know Pep sort of says, oh, we'll, we'll we'll think about those at the end of the season. But, you know, just 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 keep on winning. Keep keep ticking it over. Keep adding one more to it and making it harder to break. Yeah. The, the weird thing is, though, Howard, uh, Guardiola has one win in four home derbies. Um, and yet City are comfortably a better side than United and have been throughout his, his, his time at City. Um, can you put your finger on on why it's not quite worked at home in the derby for a while? No, uh, it's <laughs> it's bizarre because he's a perfectionist and he just, I mean, he seemed to fall into the trap of essentially, you know, allowing Alexander Solskjaer to do the one good thing he's good at, which is allow his team play on the counter attack. So I think United under Solskjaer are better when they don't have much of the ball. And City are always going to have a lot of the ball. So it it can become troublesome when the other team is quite passive in a way. And of course, they've got that speed on the break. And it's weird in a way. I mean, our away record's probably excellent. And, you know, I assume one of those is the home defeat in the Carabao Cup and we went through anyway. Yeah. And that was a strange game where we missed chances. No, like, like many Derby Day results... It doesn't always make sense, uh, and really, <laughs> really, our record should be better. But it, you know, as you say, it's a derby, so anything can happen. It just seems to, it seems to favour the away side recently, and it's as if the onus on the home side to do something has really hampered them. The the thing is though that the difference I guess with this one Howard is that it's like it's behind closed doors and as we were talking about on last week's show it's it's kind of like laboratory conditions now for for, for City and how they're playing um, and so if it if it's simply you know two good sides against each other which one's better well that's probably City isn't it yeah it is but let's not forget you know we could easily we could easily and we should criticise Manchester United uh, but they've not lost away in a year somehow. And I watched them against Crystal Palace last night and it was like watching pub football. But they still haven't <laughs> lost. And they've got six nil nils. And I think Solskjaer will approach this game looking for that nil nil and you know, if he's lucky, getting something on the break. So yeah, if again if they don't want to come out and play, it could still be a very frustrating and difficult match. And my predictions are especially this season are usually horribly wrong. I could see it, obviously, like the away game, which when nothing really happened, I think much of the game, it may start that way again with this game. But of course, City are in a very, very different place compared to when we drew the first league game, where you felt like they couldn't lose it in a way. And I just wonder if Pep will go for it. I I don't think there's all to play for at all in this game. The league, 
and this is me saying it, the world's <laughs> biggest pessimist, who will not celebrate a title until there's 30... Yeah, 2014, we needed a draw against West Ham. We were 2-0 up going into injury time, and I still wasn't totally sure we were home and dry yet. So even I'm saying this title race is done now. So I would hope City just go for it, really, and try and enjoy themselves. It's a bigger game for United because, as you know, Jonathan said, they might get. There's going to be a mighty battle for the top four now, and by not beating Crystal Palace, they're they're right into that. But as far as the top spots concerned, sure, surely it's done. <laughs> surely. Well, I, the interesting thing, John, how I touched on it there with with Guardiola versus Solskjaer. Um, between them, like I, my gut instinct was that Solskjaer had a better record, but between them, it's played seven, won three, drawn one, lost three. So they're they're, they're very balanced. Um, why? Because let's let's be honest, Solskjaer, he's shit, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've heard you swearing about it in ten years. <laughs> um, what? Why? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, to be fair, a couple of those. Wins at Old Trafford. They, I think. I think obviously the 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 game a year ago, which was the last one behind with fans, they probably deserve to win that game. Um, the like, yeah, the Carabao Cup second leg. Well, I mean, they were absolutely battered in the first leg, so it, it kind of didn't really matter. They were never going to overturn that. So I'm trying to think what which was the which was the first one that he won. Was that um, that had been the league game two one. Uh, Otamendi scored at, at the end, and it was just like it, it was basically City saying to United, "Come on, counter attackers," and they did. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I can't recall that game too too vividly, but um, yeah, I, it's. I think it's all been tied up with Solskjaer's side's greatest strength is their attackers. Um, and, you know, the, the best moments come from instinct and from serendipitous moments where something happens rather than. You know the great master plan that Guardiola has, and uh, yeah, it was good strikers against ropey defenders at times. Um, whereas now it's a bit more of an even, even match. Whereas at the other the other end, you know, you would think that City will really stretch Maguire and Lindelof and and Fred and and things like that. So this is this is much more suited to uh, to a Pep Pep setup. Yeah, the the interesting thing though, John, is is like we're talking about prioritizing games and uh, and whatnot. Like even though the, the city have the leeway that they that they want in the league now, that the size of that carrot that's dangling in front of them to win this game and pull even further ahead, it's it's huge, isn't it? Oh, massive! And also uh, with that Southampton game being brought forward, win them both, and it's twenty points clear of United. Uh, so, Kind of expecting, you know, it's such an extraordinary role that you're expecting. You're sort of looking ahead, one, two wins and things like that. But I think they can comfortably win these two games if they're at the best. And 20 points is just a ridiculous lead, isn't it? I mean, I, that would, if they were to win the league at the end of the season by 20 points, I think that would be a new record. So, yeah, 20 points and then you can really start shifting the emphasis, I think. Yeah, um, John mentioned the uh, the game against Southampton, Howard. Uh, they they've they've fallen off a cliff this season, haven't they? Yeah, I, in a way, I hope it's just a sign of the times. You know, that one of those seasons because I think Hasselhoutel was 
Well, every time I pick him up, they go on a bad run and they concede nine goals or something. <laughs> keep, really keep picking re- him up, keep picking him up. <laughs> yeah, can I just say he's the greatest manager in the world? Uh, <laughs> it's an important week to pick him up, I think. Yeah, it's, I, I rate him, I really think he's great. And, you know, you look at the side and he, he does a lot on minimum resources and and they have been troublesome opponents for City in the past because, you know, they are high energy, they will press... Uh, Got some good players. I'm surprised. I really am surprised. It's just one of those things where, like, you know, playing in empty stadiums, maybe it's just part of these had injuries, and maybe it's just, you know, I, I would hope that, that as a club, and they've been, you know, that they are run very well, you just write off the season, you start again next season. Because I do think, even, you know, even on their run, I still think they'll be. They're a side that will cause us problems next week. So it's just because they are one of those sides that are, are nice to watch, a tidy side, they're well organised. And yeah, I'm, I am surprised. Like a lot of things that have happened this week, uh, this season, sorry, nothing really makes sense. And this is just another one of them. So, but I think they'll be fine long term, to be honest. Yeah, uh, John. Just looking at their record, uh, it, you know, it's it's eight Premier League games now without a win, seven defeats and one draw since they beat Liverpool. Uh, and I mean, who hasn't beaten Liverpool this season? So like, it's, uh, it doesn't really say much. But I mean, like, it's it, it's it's a horrid record, isn't it? And like, it's the old days of City used to fear teams like that coming to City because it used to be, oh, you know, you need a good result, like rock up at Main Road. But it's just not the case anymore. No. Um... I mean, I was I was listening to someone someone from Southampton saying that they didn't think that Aston Hootel was under pressure, which is hopefully true because I still think he's a good manager. He, yeah, he's a dreadful run, but he after the last nine nil defeat, yeah, he, uh, he turned it round. So I think he he can do again. There's <laughs> not uh, many that survive two nine nil defeats, <laughs> is there? No, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that. But the one that always worries me is someone like. Minamino, whether he, he he thinks right, this is a, an opportunity for me to to to, to say something to pe- uh, to to Klopp and you know have a big performance and say right, I can do it against anyone. So uh, you know, uh, there's always a there's always a story there to be told. So uh, he's he's perhaps one I could watch out for. And uh, you know, they have got good players. Danny Ings is a good striker. Um, they have got Dangerman, but yeah, the way if if City were to win on. On sun- Sunday, you think it's just another one to tick off. Now, would you like some free beer to enjoy during the business end of the season? Blue Moon podcast listeners can get just that right now with eight free craft beers from Beer 52. Uh, we've had a sample, but I'm teetotal, so I sorted this present out for Sam Roscoe instead. Hi, Sam. Hello, mate. How are you doing oh, with your free beers there? Always very grateful. Always very grateful. Um, <laughs> yeah, really good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I've uh, had my eye on it for a while, but I thought, you know, I'll wait to, to crack it open till I can have a beer with you. Good, good. Uh, well, obviously, I'm not having a beer, but you are. If you'd like to get your free case of eight craft beers, just go to beer52.com forward slash blue. That's beer52.com forward slash B-L-U-E. And all you need to do is cover the postage of £5.95. Um, what are you trying for us this week, Sam? So I've opened the box, and what I really like about this is there's a, a, a mixture of craft beers, which um, I'll be totally honest with you, I'm, I'm quite a craft beer novice, so um, I wouldn't know where to start when it comes so, to So you're, beers. you're learning with us as well? I am, yeah. So I like the fact that there's a selection, and one of them that I've, I've picked out is um, it's a Tempest Brewing Company, Chai Cutter it's called. Now this is a 5% chai milk stout, which... I, I wouldn't have even known is like a thing, like you can have a um, a chai milk stout 
for a, for a drink. I, I love um, chai tea, like a chai latte. I'm an absolute sucker for. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this one, and I'm really curious to 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 see how this one uh, this one tastes. Well, go on then, crack it open. Let's uh, let's get you having a taste. Oh yeah, you really get the um, the sort of spiciness of the the chai. That's lovely. That. That is nice. really, really nice. I kind of want to warm it up a little bit, but, <laughs> but yeah, lots of flavour. Do, do you do that with beer? I don't know. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Is it? I, you're, you know, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I'm very new to this craft beer game, but this, mm, it's a real, um, quite malty. You know, it, it's got a really good taste, quite chocolatey as well in a way. But yeah, definitely getting the um, the chai taste from that. that. That's a that's a good one for me. Good, good. Uh, right, well, Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. Um, you'll also get a magazine and a snack thrown in as well. If you don't like dark beers, then you can choose the light option too. Uh, you can pause or cancel at any time. Uh, Sam, what's the verdict? Brilliant. Really good. Like the selection. Love the beer. Good, good. Uh, to get your case of eight free beers, just go to beer52.com forward slash blue and cover the postage of £5.95. That's beer52.com forward slash B-L-U-E. Uh, right, so it always used to be City fans fearing the derby, but in recent years, things have changed. Big wins at Old Trafford and nearly a decade since United last finished above City helped turn the tables. But a little under the radar, United have found some form at the Etihad. I've been speaking to Paul from the United podcast, no question about that, to get his view on why. I think that the answer to the question, how do United fans feel about anything uh, since, well, for a long time, but I think particularly since the advent of Jose Mourinho's era is, you know horrendously divided and split by kind of wounds that are still weirdly septic. So um, the, the the conversation around Solskjaer is always incredibly polarised. Um, it, it ranges from, you know, any criticism of him is some sort of, you know, uh, breach of a sacred cow um, and two, you know, he's a useless PE teacher and it's a disgrace that he was ever given the job. I mean, his record against Guardiola is obviously like pretty decent evidence for the people that say, hey, maybe he's not a complete idiot. You know, he has managed a football team for a very long time, albeit not at a particularly high level. And, you know, his record um, post in the post-Fergie era stacks up with anyone's um, at United. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 as everything else to do with Solskjaer. It's a stick that one side uses to beat the other side with, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the the head to head with Guardiola. Um, like my gut instinct was that that Solskjaer had the better of Guardiola over the games that they've played, but it's actually quite even. Uh, they've won three each, uh, and they've drawn one in the middle, and the goals are pretty pretty split down the middle as well. Um, that, that that can't really be said for a lot of managers that Guardiola faces after you know two or three games. They've played seven games. It's quite a decent record, like you say. Yeah, I, I wonder if mostly like so much gets put down to managers, doesn't it, in in football? And I think over the long run, that's incredibly apt. I mean, you know, Guardiola's record is absolutely ex extraordinary by any metric i'm a united fan so obviously i can't talk about managers being good without you know (laughs) suggesting that maybe this guy that used to manage us was all right you know um but the i i wonder if the that record 
if you just get into the nitty gritty and the detail of it, is essentially just about when these games happened and what sort of what was going on at these two clubs at the time at which these games happened. Like the nil nil draw earlier this season, it was nil nil, wasn't it? That's, yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, it certainly was existentially nil nil, even if it was. Scored it was incredibly forgettable. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, that game just really felt like more than almost any other game I've seen from either of these managers, actually. Just like, yep, let's just pretend this all never happened. If we can both, because City were obviously slightly shaky at that point, and it, it kind of looked like you could cut through the middle and you'd be basically pretty much guaranteed to get at least one on the counter. But they, it felt like he really solidified them and he was more than happy with a nil-nil draw. And Solskjaer certainly was. I mean, Solskjaer seems to be pretty happy with a nil-nil against any of, you know, a team that could consider conceivably be considered a rival for Champions League football or whatever. Um, so I wonder if it is just mostly about timing. Does that, uh, does that run of results that you mentioned include the two legs of the league cup game yeah um and that, that's that's an interesting tie in itself because uh, like like the second leg goes down as a united win but again city were quite happy with a one nil defeat on that day because of the situation and the fact that you know as long as it did, didn't get out of hand they were still in the final and i think it was it must have been around that time as well that 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 city went to old trafford and lost two nil as well uh yeah and I, that one nil um win was part of a it was part of a long run of results i think this is pre fernandez a long run of results where uh, united had not lost essentially um and or had only lost once maybe and it it was kind of used as evidence that like it's all going great but that that game was not good for United. It was a battling 1-0 win against a team that didn't need to beat us. That was, you know, that one goes down as a win in the Solskjaer column, but it's not, is it? Like, it's the second leg of a game that was over, essentially. So um, I'm not sure you could you could really cite much from that because I do think it was pretty evident that United were in absolute top gear and City had a couple more gears to go up into if they needed them. Now, the, the Scott McTominay game, as it shall always be known, <laughs> yeah. which is... Um, I guess, I guess, a game I'd like to forget, yeah, (laughs) yeah, sort of more historically, uh, the last time there were fans at Old Trafford, um, that that game was absolutely exceptional from a United perspective. Like, I thought we were we were brilliant that day, and it was, you know, I mean, it's just pure joy from from a United perspective that that Scott McTominay scored that goal when he did, um. But, you know, it sort of a little bit feels like in the 80s when we used to beat Liverpool all the time. Um, and, you know, didn't really count for much, but it felt good <laughs> at the time. That's, uh, that's kind of how I think about some of the derbies in the early noughties, you know. So it's, uh, it, it all comes back round in the end. Um, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk at the Etihad then, because, uh, again, looking at, uh, at United's recent record, even going back as far as, as Pellegrini's final season, a season that, that a lot of City fans would like to forget in many ways as well, um, United keep coming to the Etihad and winning. There's four wins there in the last six visits. Yeah, um, I, 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 the the kind of like upsetting reason I think the only reason that I can really make sense of it's just like just means more to United. <laughs> it's pathetic, isn't it? It's like this is <laughs> how far we done fell, but it does feel like this. I mean, United fans will talk a big game about not caring about City, and I have to say personally. Um, you know, it, 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 a couple of seasons ago, well, our last season as well, 
although it was pretty evident which way that one was going. But, you know, they're kind of like, oh, do you want Liverpool or City to win the league? And obviously the answer is like definitely any other option you can give me, <laughs> I will definitely take right now. But in that, in, it's, it's trivially easy for me because for all the kind of easy mental gymnastics, I can just, I listen, I know you're not going to like this, David, but I can just <laughs> write off City wins in my own head. It's like, it doesn't count. Um, but, but also, you know, um, especially not being local, that's that I think that's a huge factor in the difference. I have to say, there is no doubt that I know plenty of Reds in Manchester who would never say this publicly, but are really upset about how good City are now, you know, and and we'll we'll cover that with bravado. Um, <laughs> but I, I do I do wonder whether it's just I mean, the ultimate example of this is in the middle of a complete like Alexis Sanchez was absolutely brilliant at the Etihad. Now, what is that about? That was his one good game for us, basically. Yeah. You know, probably United's worst ever signing. And I'm including spending 80 million on Harry Maguire in that, you know, <laughs> probably our worst ever signing. And I'm including Bebe in that. Um, and and he was like brilliant and that was and it was just because and you know City was so you were so comfortable in that game by half time the fact that we won that game was I mean it was just ridiculous and of course for us in a completely petty way absolutely glorious because the idea that you know City would have been coronated with the league title against us was really genuinely hard to take and I'm as might already be evident I'm not the most tribal of football fans but that was too much for me the fact that we then chucked it to you by losing (laughs) 1-0 to West Bromwich Albion three days later sort of sums post Ferguson United up quite nicely yeah it's I mean it's it, it takes me back to um like I say the early noughties uh, you know my my kind of formative years as a, a, a as a kind of teenage city fan and just watching it, it used to be it used to be it kind of has been that role reversal hasn't it in that it used to be for City you'd look for when the when the derbies were oh shit can they win the league against us on this week oh hopefully not <laughs> uh, let's just try and beat them then to make sure that their league winning title their, their league win is a couple of weeks later or whatever it is and it's it's funny how uh, like what the bravado you're describing there is exactly the bravado I used to have as a teenager and now I look at the derby and think well if we lose it probably still going to win the league it'll be all right you know what I mean <laughs> yep yeah yes David I do know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> Yep, it's a, a, an old familiar feeling that's uh, long gone. You know, it was so fun when we were top of the league for two weeks or whatever it was. Like, um, I I tweeted a lot of stuff in that two weeks. And I have to say that at no point did I reasonably expect that United would win the league. I did think there was there was a small possibility if a few results shortly, you know, if, if some momentum had built, Basically, if we'd done sort of a um, um, mini version of what City have done since then um, and and had a, a kind of reasonable run, which was considerably less likely to happen to United than City. I think any any half awake data analyst would have told you that. <laughs> um, but the uh, you know, it was it was extremely fun to be like, oh, I remember what this is like. Um, and you think, oh, yeah, this is why um People like have a real go at United fans and call them glory hunters. And uh, I, you know, growing up in the eighties would have been a. I, I've made this point in a defensive way many times over the years, as you can probably tell. But like growing up in the eighties, it would have been a really weird choice of uh, glory hunting team for me. Um, uh, but 
it turns out, no, no, actually, one of the best things when you support a team is if they win all the time and they win the league. It's great. And it's great it's like, fun, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, Paul, we got a, we got a charity bet coming up a bit later on. Uh, we haven't really touched into how United are going to play and, and how that's uh, how that's going to affect things. Um, do you expect, a, first off, do you expect a, a counter-attacking performance? And uh, can you give us a score prediction as well? You know, it's... Um, it's such a weird thing to predict how United will play. I mean, uh, the, the one thing that, that has been the sort of delineator about the kind of key thing about United season essentially has just been that the, the back three of De Gea, Maguire and Lindelof is such a disaster waiting to happen that the idea that this team could like soak up pressure and hit on the break, they're really good, really good, like genuinely exceptionally good, maybe maybe like there's a non-zero chance that they're the best team in the league at doing it. The hitting on the break part, they're really good at. The soaking up pressure part, they are very, very, very bad at. So if we (laughs) try and sit back for 90 minutes, our only hope is that City aren't bothered about winning this game, which I think is, you know, is just not going to, there's no one, it's not going to be anywhere near the same kind of performance from City that we saw in the nil-nil early in the season, because that winning run, those Ws, they, they feel good, don't they? And you just want the next one and for it to be against United, you know, it does still matter to City, I'm sure. Um, I I also think, though, that if United try and go blow for blow with City, they'll just get beaten because without Pogba in particular, um, United's midfield is just desperately shorn of creativity. Bruno Fernandes um, has been an absolute revelation at United. You know, I love him and he's, you know, he he is brilliant, Bruno Fernandes. Anyone that tells you Bruno Fernandes isn't brilliant is just not paying attention, but... Uh, he's also absolutely appalling quite often. Um, and often the reason that he's not great in big games is because he doesn't get the chance to make up for the 17 egregious errors he's made <laughs> in trying to do something absolutely outrageous because like every time he gets the ball, he wants to do something exciting. So um, I I imagine that United will play in a counter-attacking fashion um, and I imagine that it won't be successful. So sadly, I'm going to predict, a, I'm going to say a 2-1 win to City. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Paul there from the United Podcast, no question about that. Uh, it's time for the charity bet. Congratulations to Dan Burke, who boosted the pot for this season to £890 with his correct 2-1 score prediction for last Saturday's game with West Ham. Uh, now, as I said earlier in the show, we would have had better news this week had the VAR not ruled that Gabriel Jesus was onside against Wolves, uh, because we also had 3-1 for that game, but it wasn't to be. So, two games to come, and we've each got a £10 correct score single from William Hill. The money is going to the Christie a Hospital in South Manchester, that tree thousands of cancer patients from across the northwest every year uh, starting off with uh, the Manchester Derby Paul from uh, the United podcast said 2-1 to City which is 7-1 to and £70 uh, John what are you having for this one? Yeah, I might have gone a bit crazy with this. I've gone three nil to City. Three nil City is ten to one and a hundred pounds if you're right. Howard, where are you going with this? Three uh, one. Three one is eleven to one and a hundred and ten pounds if you're right. Uh, that brings us to Southampton. We'll stick with you, Howard. What are you having? 
3-0 I've gone for. 3-0 uh, is 13-2 to two and £65 if you're right. Uh, I've popped up with a 2-1 uh, for City on this one. I think it's going to be, despite Southampton's uh, obvious problems, I think it's going to be a really tight game. And that's 8-1 to one and £80. And John, what have you got for this one? I don't think it's going to be a tight game. <laughs> I've gone 4-0. Uh, 4-0 is 10 to 1 and £100 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices may change. And check out begambleaware.org for more information on how to gamble responsibly. Uh, we're going to finish now with uh, Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week. Do it on uh, Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can uh, email us as well through the contact form on the website. Uh, just go to bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Fula Fangola has been in touch on the emails to say, I wondered if we need to trip up to avoid complacency when it matters. Just a game or two in the Premier League. Drop four or five points or maybe the second leg against Gladbach losing say 1-0 to still go through. I just don't want the reality check to come in the League Cup final an FA Cup tie or worst of the worst the Champions League quarters, semis or final. And this also comes uh, because uh, Fula says further to my question, I thought you guys might like to debate what Jonathan Liu wrote in his match report for Gladbach Uh, and this is uh, Jonathan Liu himself uh, telling us what he put in that report. We have been here before of course Dynamo Kiev in 2016 and Basel in 2018 and Schalke in 2019. Imperious knockout performances that presage disappointments. But what we can say with confidence is that Gladbach do not have the tools to trouble them. Perhaps the only side left who can still derail City's Champions League dream is City themselves. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So, John, what do you, what do you make of that? The idea that City might need a reality check. Uh, I think the reality check will become when the quarterfinal draw is made, if they make it that far, which they probably will do. You know, looking at the the sides that are left in there, obviously Bayern Munich will be the team that everyone wants to avoid. But you know, anyone they, they get is probably going to be tough. You know, Liverpool. I don't think any anyone would be confident. Well, they might be confident, but wouldn't be certain of uh, of getting past Liverpool. Same for Chelsea. You know, same for Juventus. Uh, who else is there? Who else is left? I, I don't know. I just don't think. I don't think they'll take anyone lightly. So I don't, I don't see how losing to Gladbach would, would would help in any way. But you know, possibly it might not, it might take some of the pressure off if they don't have this idea of going for a world record uh, ahead of a you know a Champions League game. But uh, you know, I think. I think what we've been saying throughout the show that maybe the league will take a little bit of a be on the back burner and the, and the focus will be completely on cup competitions and the, after the international break. I was going to say though, Howard, the the interesting thing in in this is uh, who was it? Was it uh, Shakhtar in the uh, knockout phase a couple of years ago, where City lost the second leg and that didn't that didn't provide a reality check. They still went against Liverpool and got absolutely battered. Yeah, was that? Oh, was it the second leg of the knockout? Or? Yeah. I thought the ones. I think they did lose a a dead rubber as well. No, I, I can't see the players. No, it wasn't Shakhtar. It was Basel. That's why they lost to Shakhtar in the group. They lost the second leg to Basel uh, at the Etihad. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Now I can't see how it would make any difference. Uh, I don't think losing a game is ever a good thing to do unless it stops United winning the league or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps them out the top four. Uh, as John said, it's like if they. If, if City draw, I don't know, PSG or Bayern Munich, they don't need a reality check. They know that is going to be difficult. 
And I don't if let's say they lost, you know, the second leg to Borussia Mönchengladbach one 0 I don't see how that could possibly benefit them. It could, for me, put more doubt into their head if they put a strong side out and managed to lose to a side they were so dominant against, you know, a few weeks previous. So, look, the good, the run's going to come to an end at some point, but that doesn't. The players aren't. The players are surely not going into a game against Bayern Munich in the Champions League or going to Everton in the FA Cup thinking, oh, this is the one where we break a world record. They are surely focused on just winning that game. And I don't think any results around the big games really makes any difference for me uh, because they must they know what they are. <laughs> they know what they are. They, are, they, they know they're an excellent side, but they know surely not to be complacent and go onto that pitch thinking they could win just you know just by turning up so yeah i think it's kind of pep's job to keep them focused and yeah my bigger concern is you know i don't want him really weak he doesn't really do it anyway pep i don't want him putting weak teams out and as we saw against west ham disrupting the rhythm is a bigger concern for me yeah john uh, just a quick word on the world record uh, chase as it were um like, like howard said he doesn't reckon that they're, that they're going for it could that actually benefit city to be going for something like that in a time where you know they they, they are moving the squad around and they are, like things could get a little bit disjointed the fact that they have a focus on something like that uh yeah maybe you know looking way way ahead to maybe games like fulham away leads away where it's perhaps not as quite as important you know the players come into the side like you know the Torres is and uh, Benjamin Mendy maybe remember him uh, they come into those <laughs> no. they, those, they come into those games and, and, and try and keep that winning mentality but uh, yeah I mean I, the only kind of comparison I can think of is is quite often you know a couple of seasons past City had been talked about as in, as the Invincibles, and there was always a concern that uh, that you might settle for a draw rather than go for a win, things like that. This is a slightly different record, isn't it? You, you, you've got to go for it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, you know, you, you, if you've got a, a uh, you know a man sent off, for for instance, um, away from home, then you, you take a, a nil nil draw, wouldn't you, and and play the second leg. So. Yeah, there'd be no advantage in going for a for a world record in those circumstances. But you know, it's it's it, it's just a, a byproduct of of what they've been doing, which has been pl- playing brilliantly, and they'll just want to keep that going. Yeah, well, uh, fingers crossed that it carries on for the Manchester Derby because that brings our pre-Manchester Derby show to a close. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and thank you to my guests, Gold.com's Jonathan Smith. Thank you very much, and City fan Howard Hawking. Thank you. Uh, If you'd like to hear more, then we're talking about some iconic home Manchester Derby goals and hearing from some of the scorers on this week's Patreon bonus show. You can listen to that by signing up to one of the three tiers on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. They're all the same and they're all showed in your local currency. They're priced differently though, so you can choose how much you'd like to back the show. The benefits for $2, $5 or $10 a month are all the same. And believe me, we won't be offended if you go for the bottom rung. Uh, If you do sign up for Patreon, you'll also get an ad-free version of the main show each week. So that's Patreon patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast fingers crossed for the manchester derby this weekend i'll be back to dissect whatever happens in it next week i'll see you then that was the blue moon podcast please support the show
patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.